Hello and welcome to the Club Development Podcast, a podcast all about the development of sustainable community sports clubs across the UK. Over the course of these podcasts, we're going to be sharing news, stories, guidance and funding information to help support clubs in their growth and development. We kick off our very first podcast with a fascinating interview with Andy McRae, General Secretary of the Olonians FC, who are currently petitioning Redbridge Council to keep their club at Oakfields playing fields. Bolonians FC have been in the London Borough of Redbridge since 1936 and are the largest grassroots football club in the borough. At the request of Redbridge Council, Bolonians FC have been caretakers of Oakfield playing fields since 2020. Looking after it in the absence of a lease, they have invested in its maintenance and provided a vital lifeline to its community. The club have since learned that the council is planning on granting the lease to Premier League club West Ham United which would leave Bolognians FC and its 29 youth teams, including two girls teams and 10 adult men's teams without a place big enough in the borough to relocate it. The club claims that if they were to lose the site, it would have a dramatic impact on the health and well-being of the community, counterintuitive to a number of priorities stated in Redbridge Council's strategy. It also mean the potential privatisation of what is currently a public green space enjoyed by thousands in the community. So for the full story, let's hear more from Andy McRae, General Secretary of Bellonians FC. Andy, thanks so much for, for agreeing to talk to us today. Um, I wondered if you could kick us off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your role at the club. OK, so uh, my current role is I'm a trustee and General Secretary, and I've been General Secretary for too long, you might say, at least over 30 years uh, obviously, I originally did play uh, a long time ago, uh, and my playing days are well. They're not quite behind me because I now play walking football, but that's uh, just down the road in a different enterprise. Uh, so I, I've been involved with the club since I was effectively fourteen, fifteen. I mean, my father was also a, a member. He was also uh, heavily involved as. Uh, secretary and then chairman and president so we've been involved with Bilonians or old Bilonians as it was back in the uh, last century for a long time. Mm. Thank you and I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about the club more broadly in terms of its its origins, location, membership size, I know you're a registered charity as well. Yeah so the club uh, like a lot of Clubs in back in uh, the early part of the 20th century uh, was formed as alumni from Bill what was was Bill Grammar School that's based in uh, London Borough Redbridge. Uh, it, it was originally in Newbury Park. It's now in uh, just off the Woodford Avenue, and the club grew. Uh, I certainly don't know too much about that pre-war era, but certainly from you the number of sides and certainly in London around there, the whole ethos of old boys football, you know, some very big leagues grew around the London area under the uh, auspice of the AFA, the Amateur Football Alliance, who are now, you know, seen as a county FA. That grew from there. The club had its own clubhouse, different, not with its own pitches, but we've always been based in the borough. From there, as obviously demographics and, and education changed, the links with the schools started to diminish. And what you saw also, obviously, at the same time as the de 
gradual decline in male 11 aside football, the club started to struggle. Now, we've to some extent bucked that trend because we started our youth section back in 2002 and that was with just two sides. That youth section now has 29 teams, including two all-female all teams. We've sort of kicked off the female pathway, but I'll come back to that. And that's allowed us to keep the number of open age teams that we have, which is now currently eight open age teams. We play in the amateur football combination, which allows all our teams to play in the one league with, with free movement of players. And we roughly between 50 to 60% of our population of our senior section at some point played in our youth section. So you're now getting that pathway back into there. And we also operate two veterans teams as well. So that side of it's grown. And then recently, more recently, obviously with the growth in female football, we've kicked that off. We have a Wildcats license, which is the FA's program for five to 11 year olds. And we've got a squad girls license as well now for 12 to 15 year olds. And we've been running the Wildcats for just over a year now. And that's allowed us now to start with two, uh, if you like, I want competitive football, but organised football week in, week out teams. Great. And just, just on the facilities, I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about um, where you're based and, and perhaps introduce us to some of the issues that you've started to encounter. So we... We, if I go back to the sort nineties, we sold our building, which was a clubhouse without a pitch, uh, primarily because we had the opportunity to move to uh, another place. Actually, at the same road we are in now, Forest Road down the end, was, that was um, owned by London Transport, as it was then. Um, unfortunately, London Transport then sold, looked to sell that ground at the beginning of the century, and we moved down to here at Oakfield Playing Fields. Originally, as tenants of Redbridge Sports Centre, uh, using their their pitches, um, and we rented one pitch from Frenford Clubs. Frenford Clubs moved to a new site in Ilford, purpose built because of their growth, and that presented the opportunity for us to move. Effectively, we're on, it's on the same playing field. We've just moved across it. And we became tenants of Brentford Clubs. They still continue to maintain the pavilion and the ground. So here we've got uh, a purpose-built pavilion. It's got a function room. I'm currently sat in our upstairs area, which is slightly smaller with a balcony overlooking the playing fields. Uh, eight dressing rooms, all with their own all with their own showers, etc. Uh, laundry room first aid room, then there's four 11-a-side pitches, one five-a-side, one seven-a-side, one nine-a-side, and two cricket squares, both with uh, 12 uh, cricket pitches on each square. So it's quite a large facility, um, but obviously with the amount of teams we have, that is well utilised, you know, right through, effectively right through the year. And we uh, we maintain the cricket squares because this part of London is a hotbed of Southeast Asian cricket. And we hire those out 
and we could hire them out four or five times over. The demand mm -hmm. is fantastic, really. Mm -hmm. So all in all, you've got quite a a large hub for the for the local community providing a sporting facility and a social environment in a pretty diverse and mix area. And it's it is a success story. Mm -hmm. So the issues roll back to Fremford then decided that they wanted to terminate their lease here and duly notified uh, London Borough Redbridge. But at the same time, notified them that we were here and that we would be happy to take that lease on. Um, the lease actually terminated on the 31st of March 2020. Now, I'd been chasing the council to get, get things moving since the late part of 2019. I finally got an email on the 4th of April 2020, which you have to roll back and remember we're now in COVID and lockdown, that just said, yes, can you look after the place and we'll talk later. Mm -hmm. So we duly looked after the place. Um, we then got a heads of terms for a lease and a draft lease, and we appointed legal representation. We at this time felt fairly confident, so we did the building needed, um, if you like, updating. It was originally built in 1998 and opened by the Duke, then Duke of Edinburgh. We spent, we spent probably over the couple of years, the best part of £100,000, you know, really making it modern and uh, getting all the service agreements in place and things like that so it functions effect quite effectively. Those lease negotiations were progressing. If I say they were ponderous, that would probably be a bit of an understatement, but they were progressing. And then I received a phone call uh, early 2021 from the council to say they were ceasing lease negotiations as their preferred tenant was West Ham United. Right. And I mean, after that. Yeah. So, I mean, had they given you any prior notice of this or was this the first you were hearing about West Ham? It's effectively really the first we were heard, heard about it. Okay. Um, and so you you'd been managing it, you'd been running, you'd been basically looking after it, and you still are since sort of two thousand and twenty. Um, and now there's this kind of indication that they're intending to hand it over to West Ham United, despite the kind of the money you've spent on it, the yeah. work you've done over the last couple of years. Yeah, so I think they realised they hadn't done due process, so. Where there was a few changes of personnel in council officers and eventually, despite us talking to each one of them, we then, they realised that they said they were going to look at all their open spaces and uh, make leases appropriate, you know, through due process. Well, we did find out the due process more by luck than chance because they didn't really notify us. Uh, there was an advert placed in the local paper uh, for expressions of interest to the lease. And we duly completed our application, uh, submitting all the supporting papers. Um, that took that process took about three months 
and we then learned that, lo and behold, the decision was they would offer the lease to West Ham. Um, which takes us to the recent, because then we've got it uh, a certainly a lot more official. The, so the council officers prepared a paper that went to councillors. Uh, it went through their overview and scrutiny meeting. And then last Thursday at Cabinet, it was agreed to uh, empower the council officers to open these negotiations with West Ham. What do you think are the reasons behind why uh, West Ham are being favoured? Now, now the fun starts. <laughs> now this might test your area of your local local knowledge your your local yeah. area. Let's um, see. West Ham have a freehold on a site at Little Heath, which is where their academy is. All around that was Greenbelt, which the council got take had that land all taken out of Greenbelt and have a development with it, with Bellway Homes. And it's called the Billet Road Development. However, although nobody actually says this yet, the to actually get in and out of that site, the amount of traffic that is not acceptable down Billet Road. So they needed the West Ham land to provide the access roads and obviously some additional development. In the paper they put together here, they did say that West Ham will be selling that ground for development. And obviously the funds would be used to develop here. But they've said that the two are unrelated. Right. <laughs> However, okay. I think it's stretching the credibility a little far to say they're unrelated. Right. Okay. So there's kind of a broader a broader picture here in terms of... Yes. And there's a lot broader picture as well if you roll back because in 2016 in their local plan, Redbridge Council proposed to build 800 houses across the whole Oakfield site. Uh there was a campaign then in 2016 and um, it went all the way to the planning inspector and the planning inspector ruled that A, it was Greenbelt, B, that the number of playing pitches required meant that they needed to keep these playing fields to meet the requirement and that Redbridge had to change their local plan. Through well, we're five years on, no, more six years on. They're effectively, we could argue, building on Oakfield by stealth. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, yeah. What is the impact to to the club and the local community if this is to to go ahead? What what kind of impact would it have on on you as a so, as a charity? As a we registered as charities, we realised we were going to have to get more formal, um, and we followed we you know, followed FA guidelines around how to incorporate. What's the best way to do that, especially running a pavilion? So the uh, pavilion is run as a limited company, 
um, which is wholly owned by the trustees of the football club, just to keep the bar and all that separate from the charity. The charity itself offers the football facilities, the cricket, etc. Um, SXFA do a report every year for their largest clubs, uh, demonstrating you know the volunteers involved, what that means to the uh, local community and what that brings. Um, their their report, and this only includes our youth teams; it doesn't include our adults. Estimates we provide over eight hundred thousand pound of social value per annum to the local environment. You know, in addition to all that, I've got the eight adult sides. We've got all the cricket sides. We've got the Hainal and Chigwell Muslim Association are here every Friday for Friday prayers. Um, it's then, if I, you know, we started the conversation that this is rented out at the moment for the Hindu festival. You've got, we have hirings, you know, on a regular basis for celebrations, wakes, business meetings during the week, ironically, some of them from the London Borough of Redbridge. Um, so it's it's a good community hub in use. It we're you know, we've got excellent transport links, a large car park that we don't charge people to park in. These are all significant factors. Our view, if we even just look at it from a football perspective, we don't think there's anywhere else in the vicinity that could house us. Mm-hmm. Would you have a? There's no sort of natural, logical place for you to to play if this was to go not, through. Not that we're aware of. Um, the council did say when they made their decision, and part of that is they will look after us. Now we're not sure what that entails as yet. Uh, we are scheduled to meet them early November. Um, however, our hopes at this point are. We expect just a list of uh, potential playing fields. But my analogy on this is that we're quite embedded in the, you know, Fairlock, Barkinside, Hainal area. So even if there's other grass pitches, of, you know, a few miles away, we're going to move a, gra- a large grassroots club into an area where other grassroots clubs are likely to exist. And you're going to go into their area it's a bit like asking West Ham to leave the London Stadium, move to London Borough of ha- Harringay. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, just sort of in a, in a footballing perspective as well, then what do you think is the kind of impact here for grassroots football in terms of the the pure number of teams that you're running? Well, for grassroots football, it really is probably a really bad precedent. Because if a club as large as this can be be close to being wiped out, there there's not a lot of hope for the survival of grassroots sport over a number of years because gradually and gradually more playing fields will be taken out of use and beyond the reach. Uh, I mean, the reason we want our own playing field and to manage that is because we couldn't afford to hire every single pitch for each training session for each match because it's cheaper for us to actually employ a groundsman to do, 
on a part-time basis who does an excellent job. Actually, he works across the whole site because we've got, you know, our neighbours next door, Old Park Onions, are another grassroots club. Their lease expires in 2024. You can see the writing on the wall. Mm-hmm. So just on that, what do you think of the kind of learnings here for other clubs of all sports, I guess, across the UK? And what kind of support would be helpful to those clubs in facing these challenges? I mean, there is great support. I mean, I, and currently I'm getting fantastic support from, and you have to talk to your organisation, certainly the county FAs that we uh, have involved, which is Essex FA and the AFA. Um, terrific support from Essex Cricket. And in turn, then they liaise with the league governing bodies. So we know that there's liaisons with the FA, with uh, the ECB. You've then got Sport England. Um, you might have some issues getting Sport England traction, but you, the, your county FAs can help you get that. They, they they will make a big difference in that whole line of who gets involved. Um, we've also got support from, uh, this may not be applicable in your part of the world, that CPRE, which is the Campaign for the Protection of Rural England, um, who have been, who've been very helpful as well. So, you know, look at Greenbelt Associations, places like that. There's, there's huge amounts of expertise out there, much more than I realise. And then you've got your own club membership. You know, when you're a large club, especially like ours with 600 plus members and then, uh, you know, parents, wives and et cetera, who probably some of them don't pay that much interest in football. But when this has come up, we're suddenly finding people coming forward with all different types of knowledge, skills, et cetera, that can help us. So there is quite a broad, and it comes at you all directions all at once, and everybody's got a thousand and one ideas of what you should be doing, can't be doing. So you have to get on board. You have to get some sort of structure in place. I mean, we're becoming a charity and getting a board of trustees was a game changer. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think back to the 1990s when we were still just running as an old boys team, we were gradually declining, probably down to a committee of about four dedicated people. You could see it slowly ebbing away. But we've actually managed to turn that around. You know, fantastic commitment from volunteers getting the youth section started. Changing to a charity, you know, the just advertising for trustees and getting some great di- people with different skills and, and things that can help you is, is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've got two last questions for you, Andy. Uh, one is what does the process look like for you right now and how can people support you with that? So we've got, we've got a petition on change.org um, that we want people to sign with. We're, we're We've just gone past the 9,000 mark on that. We need to definitely get to 10 and then hopefully go forward from there. I've got, uh, and then we need to get in front of the uh, Mayor for London. So I'm about to put up on our website 
a petition there. Unfortunately, you can't use the same petition. It has to be a specific petition for the Mayor of London. But we'll, we'll try and address that to get uh, more political support. And, and then we really go through, we're looking at another two angles then. One is obviously through all the governing bodies of what pressure we can, can be brought to bear. And we are also looking at our legal options, but you have to be understand that there's probably quite significant risks going down those routes and you really do need expertise in that. And that's mm -hmm. that's not easy. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, thank you very much for, for your time, Andy. What we'll do is we'll share the the the, the existing change petition you've got just now with our with our yeah, audiences, and fantastic. then and we, when we get the second one as well, we'll do, we'll do the same for that, and um, and we'll call on our kind of communities to help however we can. Um, but um, thank you very much for agreeing to to talk to us, and good luck with it all. Hopefully, it, it comes yeah, out in your favour. Thank favor. you very much. So that was Andy McRae, General Secretary of Belonians FC, um, a really interesting interview and great to get his uh, insight into what is obviously a very challenging situation for the club. Probably important to highlight that Redbridge Council have um, come out and, and since said that West Ham provided a plan that offers investment in the site, uh, rental income and generate charitable local community benefits. Um, but nevertheless, it's obviously a concerning situation for Belonians FC that have, you know, obviously invested a lot into that facility and that community, uh, broader community as well. I took a lot away from that interview in terms of um, how the club has structured themselves and the value of having that structure as a charity, how that enabled them to attract um, a good quality and quantity of trustees for the for the organization as well. And just the kind of sheer development, the sheer growth, the sheer scale of development and growth that the club have undertaken in the last sort of 20 years or so is very, very impressive. So genuinely wish them all the best with their petition um, and we'll provide the link to that in the um, podcast notes and on the YouTube video as well. So thank you very much for watching this first uh, club development video. Hope you found some value in it.